If there's one climate activism group you've heard of, it's probably the Sunrise Movement. Sunrise has a bold message for any potential joiners. They're fighting for a climate revolution. Over the past few years, Sunrise has caught the attention of millions of Americans with its grassroots, youth-led efforts to elect progressive politicians and advocate for a Green New Deal and millions of good-paying jobs. Sunrise has local hubs of organizers all across the nation, including one in Durham. Here with us to talk about Sunrise and their work in Durham is Renata Poulton Kamakura. Renata is one of the current hub coordinators for the Sunrise Movement's Durham Hub and a PhD student in ecology at Duke. She's been involved in Sunrise for a little over a year, but has been involved in community organizing and activism for around five years, originally focusing more on policing and mass incarceration. Welcome to Operation Climate, the one-stop shop for environmental issues that matter to Duke and Durham community members. We're a podcast run by Duke University students aiming to inform and empower Duke at large to create lasting change in the fight against climate change and environmental degradation. This season, we're focusing on climate activism and activism in general. Hi, this is Georgie and Rishab with Operation Climate, and we're here with Renata from the Sunrise Movement. Thanks for joining us, Renata. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the Sunrise Movement? Sure. Yeah. So, hey, my name is Renata, she, her pronouns, and I am part of the Sunrise Durham Hub and also a Duke PhD student studying ecology. And Sunrise overall is basically a movement that is trying to work with young people to tackle the climate crisis and doing so in a way that doesn't treat climate as something that's separate from other issues in the world and says considers it within the framework of economic justice, racial justice, healthcare. All of these other things that are super important for us to be able to move, not just towards tackling climate change, but doing so in a way that is just and equitable. Yeah. And we also wanted to know specifically what you guys are doing in Sunrise Durham. So um, are there any certain projects that you guys are working on and what have been some of the obstacles or barriers to climate action in Durham? So Sunrise started out in 2020 having a, a plan around Earth Day, trying to make that a major mobilization. and then the pandemic started or really kicked off in high gear in the United States around March. And so in North Carolina, as well as kind of across the country, we started focusing on COVID relief. And that was a big emphasis and a big push. And it still is. And then around May, George Floyd was murdered and we're moving into the uprisings. And then we're throwing down with the movement for Black Lives, trying to talk about abolition, changing the ways we think about safety and policing in our communities. And for both of those things right there, connected to climate in many ways, like one in the broader form of justice, yes, absolutely. But if we think about, for example, the healthcare inequalities that we're seeing, the inequalities in terms of who are essential workers and who's deemed worth paying attention to whose lives matter, those all relate to the same people who are often hit the worst with climate change and are also really necessary for us to change our infrastructure. And with the uprisings, if you have, I mean, if you have a society where we're spending billions, if not more dollars on policing instead of dealing with our infrastructure or other issues, we're never going to move in the direction we need if we're throwing people in cages and shooting them instead of investing in our communities. So we pivoted hard into that. And then we moved into November elections. And there's a lot of emphasis on getting good people or at least allies in office who aren't going to save us, but are at least going to work with our communities to get the sorts of legislation that we need or at least will help us move in the direction we want. And then kind of post-November, moving into December, there's some support of Georgia, of course. But we've also been rethinking what does it look like to do Green New Deal stuff at a local level. So how are we rethinking our transportation infrastructure? Another thing that comes up a lot, how are we building affordable housing that is also green? 
And so right now we're considering working with people in the People's Alliance and various other groups on a Green New Deal for Durham. And what does that look like? And that's kind of a major emphasis point right now. So looking at um, the base of Sunrise, what do you think explains Sunrise's success in attracting so many young people and building such a diverse coalition of organizers? For bringing together young people, I mean, one thing is that climate crisis is the thing a lot of people care about. It's not just young people, it's people in the world, but young people are some of the ones that are going to have to live with the consequences for the longest. And so giving people a space that we're like, hey, we're taking this shit seriously. We think that y'all as human beings deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. That gives people like something to get fired up about. But it's also a movement that is designed for and by young people, young being broadly defined as under 35. And there is an incredible power to multi-generational organizing. The challenge often in those spaces is that young people are, are kind of kept out. We're not allowed in leadership because we're too young, we're too inexperienced, we're too naive. And I think it's true that we need to learn. <laughs> we spend a lot of time experimenting, making mistakes and learning. But it is designed to have people who are in middle school, high school, college be in charge, making decisions, the ones who are at the forefront, making speeches, doing whatever. And I think that's really empowering in many ways, where you don't just have to listen to someone who's older you and tell you what to do. Instead, we work with and in coalition with and collaboration with other movements, but we are the ones that are making decisions at our level. Now, with that, I think we there is a major goal and we are like a very centered on the fact that we need a cross-class multiracial movement to win a Green Deal. You can't do it otherwise. It just doesn't make sense. Not to mention the fact that it is unjust if you're making decisions that impact your whole community without the, the community being there, right? I think it's true, though, that Sunrise still has a long way to go. Um, it is not entirely white, but it's still a heavily white space. And one of the things that we're trying to work on, right, is one, being very clear about our values and standing up against white supremacy, standing up for racial justice, standing up for economic justice, and not just saying nice words, but actually doing it on the ground. And then hopefully as we do that, we also train our own people, have a lot of conversations around the ways in which the society that we live in, which is cis-heteropatriarchy, racist as hell, ableist, and generally problematic, how do we do the work ourselves to create spaces that are actively combating that external pressure and the pressure that is part of that we have taken in as humans in our society. So we create spaces that empower all of the people that we think we need. So when I agree with you. Yeah, I think your thoughts, um, just based on this last answer, they really set up this next question. Just to preface, in an earlier episode, we talked to Nate Hawkman, which is a conservative commentator for Citizens Climate Lobby. And um, that's like an organization, of course, for the listeners that are advocating for a carbon fee and dividend, which would tax carbon emissions from polluters and then just equally distribute the tax revenue to all Americans. So this proposal and proposals like these are embraced by a lot of moderates um, and some on the right that emphasize climate change as simply an economic issue in which incentives, free market economics can reduce emissions and maintain other aspects of life. I think what makes Sunrise so distinct is that um, you were talking about these issues of racial justice, economic justice, and the intersection of climate change with all of these. So when you're talking about this whole mission of Sunrise, first, um, why do you think that perspective is more valuable than a perspective that's simply based on climate change as an economic issue? And um, what do you think are some of the problems you guys are going to have to face and some of the, the legways, perhaps, that you're giving up? and taking such an idealized approach. I'll try to start with kind of part one, why it's not just an economic issue, per se. 
And one thing is like, okay, so I'm an ecologist. I'm in the scientific realm. And one thing that comes up a lot is basically eco-fascism and just neo-Darwinian ideas about eugenics. And the thing is, you can, quote, solve the climate crisis by deciding that you're just going to kill off a lot of people or just, just mass sterilize people. Now, usually who those people are is like black and brown folks, a lot of times in countries outside the United States. Like you have even very famous scientists like Paul Ehrlich making comments about like how people in India need to have fewer children. And this is someone who like tried to desegregate the counters, like lunch counters, right? Like not someone who just like thinks of themselves as racist. But if you're not sitting there thinking about the ways these interact, you can end up with, quote, solutions that are incredibly horrifying if you actually look at what that means. And so if we're going to seriously consider tackling the climate crisis in a way that doesn't lead to just like New Orleans disappearing or Malaysia disappearing and then the people there, well, it's like, well, it's not our problem that they're climate refugees. They're, you know, brown people go somewhere else. Who They didn't cause this problem. We caused this problem. What does it mean to really take responsibility and ownership for that? And what does it mean to move us into a future where we're, yes, dealing with the climate crisis, but not just leaving certain people in the dust in doing so. And so I think there's like opportunities for economic tools to try to move us in that direction. I'm not going to say that like economics is useless because at some level, like economy is just like taking care of home if you look at the root of it, right? But if we don't think of it in the context of the other things that matter, we're going to leave people behind. So that's one piece. The other thing is like, we've spent a lot of time talking about reform and this is maybe gets to your second point around policing, but Reforming systems that inherently exploit workers and exploit the world makes it really hard for us to actually change the problem. It just morphs. So if you're thinking about, for example, okay, we need to use clean energy sources. Yes, 100% totally agree. If we continue, if we do so in ways that just like continue to go at really rampant rates, allow companies to have major control over that rather than like allowing for more decentralization, you're still going to have people who are exploited and you're probably just going to still have waste or just look different, right? Or you're going to have huge swaths of habitat that are turned into these solar fields that suddenly like animals can't move through, other beings can't move through. You still have these mass produced farms that are like leading to a lot of pollution and environmental degradation, but just looks different, right? So you might deal with like greenhouse gas emissions, but you're not going to deal with the broader environmental problems we have until we actually disrupt the ways in which we relate to the rest of the natural world. And that requires us to also disrupt the ways in which we react to one another. So we don't have some people's lives that are disposable. So we put them around hog waste farms and some workers' lives who are disposable. So we don't treat them well and they basically die. And it's like, well, we can just replace them with some other migrant worker. Right. So that's like getting to the real root of the broader problems we have requires that intersectional analysis. That's one. Two, what do we sacrifice when we take the radical, as they say, um, <laughs> positions? And one of the things that came up a lot recently was around defunding the police, right? A lot of people said, if you say defund the police, you're not going to make any headway. And we actually got basically blacklisted by the North Carolina Democratic Party saying that we couldn't talk to or endorse a lot of their candidates because we said defund the police. And there are a couple of things there. One, people said that about Medicare for all. Too radical, too out there. People aren't ever going to go for it. Is that the case now? The needle moves. The needle moves when you organize. The needle moves when you talk to people about what they care about and why the things that you're talking about actually serve their communities, right? So there's something to be said for something that might seem radical right now isn't necessarily going to be radical forever. But I also think a lot of the times we really agitate ourselves and push ourselves to think, why are we hiding away from this statement? Is it because we don't think it would ever make headway? Or is it, and is it, sometimes it makes sense because maybe people really will hate that even if they like the idea. But can we really be thinking about, like, how do we show up for our partners and really stand up for what we believe in rather than hiding who we truly are?
So back on that point of um, like politics, how do you reconcile support for these bipartisan, though arguably inadequate policies like a carbon tax with Sunrise and progressive climate ambitions? And at what point does compromise become unreasonable? Oh, great question. Yeah, just going to emphasize that I definitely am speaking 100% for myself. I have been this whole time, but this is a this is, I think, a subject of debate. And it is vigorous debate all over the place as to like when you're compromising your values too much and when you're kind of operating in the realities of the moment. Rebecca Solnit actually writes about how you need to both acknowledge that in the moment you cannot get everything. Like we need to make small steps that are moving us in the direction we need and also not make so many concessions that you make it impossible for you to actually get to what you care about in the future. And frankly, this is a conversation we have around electoral politics at all, right? So to some level, having a Supreme Court that has like nine people who decide the fate of large it's just like civil rights legislation seems kind of ridiculous. Like that's that's kind of a messed up way to decide how you're going to you know care about people's rights. At the same time, that's a system we have. And unless we're ready for a revolution tomorrow, like we need to, to work with that existing system. And so it's kind of in a similar way, like how are we both pushing the needle to make sure we don't have a carbon tax be the be all and end all and decide that, OK, carbon tax, we've solved climate change. Great. 10 out of 10. And push that right so that we don't stop there. And if in a community they decide that some sort of like market scheme to to incentivize solar development is something that's going to move them towards clean energy, and that's what makes sense for the community, that's the moment we live in and that's the decision we need to make, right? And that's why a lot of times, again, going back to local community decision making is often what makes the most sense (laughs) to give people the autonomy and give people honestly respecting them enough to know what they think they need in this moment. But making sure that we have that constant push of like, what is our end goal? What are we actually trying to do? And don't let ourselves get complacent in the little kind of decisions we have to make right now, because they may impact people's lives. And that's the options that we have on the table. I just wanted to circle back to that, um, because I've been struggling with this a lot, too. At what point are you just going to say, like, enough's enough. I should stand for what I should stand for. Um, Just like a perspective. A lot of Republicans are turned off by Sunrise um, and will not even work with them at all on any energy policies just because Mm -hmm. of their idealized stance. And I was wondering if like Sunrise has a solution to this, to talking to the other side, because, of course, the the goal of Sunrise in many of these cases is to elect progressive politicians, elect progressive um, people that are going to pass progressive policies. So it's just hard to straddle that balance, I feel like, of doing that, but also working with the other side. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if Sunrise has an answer. Well, I would say I'm not going to speak for Sunrise nationally in any of this. And I don't know that even there's one solution necessarily. I think there's a couple, there's a difference between working with fossil fuel executives who want to have a quote compromise solution that allows them to make millions of dollars and working with, for example, coal miners who are trying to like make sure they have a living for the rest of their lives. And there's a difference between working with the people who identify as small C conservatives in communities. And there's a difference between working with like big C conservative politicians who have been profiting off of people's pain. And so I think there's like, what does it look like to go into communities and organize, like actually talk to people about the things that they care about and finding ways that, you know what, if you are a farmer in a lot of these places, environmental justice matters a lot because you also need to be one, getting enough support from state, federal legislation around farming. You're facing issues from development, right? A lot of people are losing their farmland. Water is an issue. Fire is an issue. There are so many things we can talk about with communities that are often like, painted as conservative, Republican, whatever you want to call it. And we can talk to those folks, right? And we do, or as much as we can anyway. Um, But I think that's something we can also grow into. But I don't think that means that we need to go to Mitch McConnell and be like, you know what, actually what we want is a lovely compromise solution. And that means that, you know, your friends get tax write-offs and don't have any sort of like accountability for COVID-related issues. And 
Instead, it's like talking to people in Kentucky, <laughs> talking to people in Kentucky on the ground and being like, okay, what do you actually need for your communities? And what do we actually do to build what y'all want? And at that level, it's almost, it's less about playing some kind of Democrat Republican game. Because at the end of the day, like Sunrise doesn't align itself necessarily with Democrats either, right? It's not about, it's, we say no permanent friends, no permanent enemies. Like Democrats make a lot of mistakes and we really call them out when we can, right? It's not about that so much as it is like, how are we moving towards a future that's just and equitable? And what do we do to talk to our communities to get what they need? So looking back at the past year, what has been challenging about climate action during COVID-19? A lot of things. Um, a lot of it is related to just difficulties with action, period, in COVID-19. But one thing is that I think we need to be really cautious about not just making climate the, quote, conversation of 2020, especially when there was a bunch of other things going on. And one of the things we were trying to really walk a line on is talk about the ways climate intersects with, for example, the pandemic, also racial justice and the uprisings and policing and carcerality without making like, oh, you're having an action. Let's make it about climate change. So I think that's one thing climate change wise has been a challenge is making sure that we do a good job of talking about the connections between things rather than stealing the stage. But frankly, in the pandemic, there's a lot of things that are hard, right? One, people are hurting. <laughs> like We are in a pandemic. People are sick. People have been working super long shifts and young people are not immune to that, right? And so like things have just been hard on a personal level because it's just hard right now <laughs> for most people, I would say. So that's part of it. But also we can't do in-person gatherings the same way. Right. Actions for a long time was kind of we were on the fence. Like, can we go to protest? What does it mean to protest safely when it came around to doing stuff around the election? Like, can we canvas safely? What does it mean to not put people at risk, especially in the communities that we're talking about that are hit hard by COVID? But some things that came with it is one, we shifted our idea of access. Right. So access was a challenge for folks who don't have computers and don't have Internet. Right. That's real. And a lot of communities are really hard to reach for that. It also meant that we didn't have a physical location we were meeting in. And so when we got to other people, people who did have computers, people who didn't have internet, suddenly there was not the barrier of having to move to a space. And so we got to work with a lot of people, especially across the state and across the country. And there was also this opportunity that really came through like the North Carolina United for Survival and Beyond Coalition during the pandemic to really talk about these ties between climate change and everything else and build basically an alignment of progressive orgs that are trying to move towards a just and equitable future, even though we all kind of come at it from different angles and build that kind of cross coalition to work together or at least work in side by side. So it's been really hard because it's tough times. People are struggling, money is scarce, people are in really difficult positions and it's hard for us to be in community. But there are things that we have tried to pivot to to do what we can in the situation we have. Just to wrap up this podcast, um, this is a Duke podcast for Duke students. So we just wanted to know, what do you think Duke students should do to support the work of Sunrise in climate action more broadly in Durham? Yeah, great question. I mean, so Sunrise is a slightly easier answer insofar as like folks are welcome to join the Sunrise Hub if they want. Like we're happy to have folks roll through and work with us on a lot of these issues, especially if you're kind of in the vein of thinking of climate change is intersectional with a lot of these other problems. And we have hub meetings usually every couple of weeks. But we're not the only group that works on climate change or environmental justice in Durham or North Carolina. North Carolina has a long history of environmental justice work, as I'm sure many folks are aware. In 1982, Warren County, North Carolina was kind of the birth of the modern day environmental justice movement. Um, and there's groups, for example, the Poor People Campaign has kind of an environmental subgroup that does a lot of work. You've got like Clean Water for North Carolina. And there's also going to be this big group 
that with the People's Alliance and Sunrise and hopefully a lot of other orgs are going to be thinking about a Green New Deal for Durham. That's something that's going to be, hopefully you'll hear more about it relatively soon. And we'd love to have folks hop into that. But I think one of the big things is just even for whatever you call home, whatever communities you think of your community, which can be in Durham, it can be somewhere else, thinking about, okay, what can I do to talk to those folks, work with those folks to build power in whatever space that is? Like, is it my local hometown somewhere? Can we be thinking about how we change our energy sources, how we talk about affordable housing? How, like, just really just taking a little time to think about, it. like, think of yourself as an agent of change, as someone who has power, as someone who can work in community to make change, thinking about what is your community to do that in. And if you decide that Durham is the place where you want to throw down, like, we'd love to have you to, to get stuff going and do work here but it also can be other places and other communities. And then we have one final question that we've been asking all of our guests this season. What does activism mean to you? Ooh, man, that's a good question. Partly because there's a lot of uh, distinction between activism and organizing. But the thing about activism that I think about a lot is it's a lot of times putting yourself out there, maybe like having a big voice and like talking about something you believe in and trying to push for that change that you think is important or push on that issue that I think is important. And that can be incredibly powerful. Greta Thunberg, good example of an activist and made big changes, like change the conversation in pretty major ways. What I think is also powerful are organizers. And those are the ones who are more about like working in the communities. A lot of times it's like in the context potentially of unions, for example, you go to the door, you go talk to people and build that community power together. And that's what I think is super, super powerful. It's not just like, yes, raise your voice about the things you care about. Absolutely want to see that. And also, how do we organize our communities to make the change that all of us collectively really want to see? And that's the kind of the ethos that I would like to hold as we think about moving forward. Renata, I just want to thank you so much um, from the Operation Climate Podcast for joining us. It's been so awesome. So just thank you. Thanks so much for having me. As Renata explained, climate movement has quickly transitioned from a purely scientific problem aka how can we cut down greenhouse gas emissions, into a broader conversation around building a more equitable, inclusive, and just future. To learn more about the Sunrise Movement, visit www.sunrisemovement.org. If you would like to join Sunrise Durham, you can also sign up on their website, which will be linked in our description. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Operation Climate. Make sure to subscribe to stay updated about future episodes. For more information on who we are, what we're doing, and a full transcript of this episode, visit our website at bit.ly slash Operation Climate Podcast to learn more. See you next time.